Welcome to Pod Space Nine, the last stop for trash in the Alpha Quadrant. This is a rewatch podcast for Star Trek D Space Nine, featuring two veteran viewers and one newbie. My name is Justin, and I'll be your, your away team commander. Joining me is my science officer, Anna, with our new recruit, Jude. Jude, Anna, how you doing? I'm doing I, well. I have watched a lot of Deep Space Nine today. Amazing. Yes. I'm, I'm so um, excited for this. <laughs> I think this is the first time we've ever recorded a bad pod on the weekend. Yeah, because yeah. uh, I fucking blew it. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't gonna let. I wasn't going to call you out, but I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, I got back. I got back on a Thursday, and was we were supposed to record on a Friday, and I was unfucking prepared to record on Friday, uh, and I didn't realize that fact until about eight fifteen, and we had an eight thirty recording time. So, cheers to Jude for being fucking on it. Um, but that's okay. Hey, we figured it out. We got we it together, it and uh, I have watched like five, five episodes. episodes? Of- no, four episodes, because I had already watched past prologue, but I watched okay. all the rest of them today. Amazing. Um, Love that. There's a reason why notes. I have no notes taken on uh, Cueless, because by the time I got to Cueless, I was like, no thoughts, all vibes. <laughs> I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be recording this in about an hour and a half, and I'm good to go. Amazing. All right. Lana, how are you doing? Oh, I, I'm doing good. I actually I actually made like a a actual mental health appointment for myself for like the first time. So please, please be proud of me, friends. Yeah, Very no, well I wish done. I could do that. <laughs> I, I not, not from a I I'm sure that if I investigated my healthcare options, I would have that option, but also not necessarily. Do you have Kaiser? Anxiety. Um <laughs> believe me. Trying to get a mental health appointment with Kaiser. I don't know. It's like trying to get wings dis- wings attached. I mean. No, I'm Anthem. Oh, okay. Yeah. Then you probably could. Yeah. I mean, they, they did discontinue. Uh, I mean, Zathros cut this out. We do not need to talk about health insurance. Just yeah. cut it out. Yeah. Cut it out. Sorry. <laughs> um, well, f- fing- fingers crossed. Um, yeah. I'm question mark, question mark, excited, question mark, question mark. That that intake sounds intense, but I mean, it could also be a really good kind of intense. Yeah, yeah. So, so my question for you tonight is, what was your first ship? Oh, fuck. Like, that uh. you could really, that, like, you remember, that, like, the first one that's really, like, lodged in your memory. Ooh, good question. Um, fuck. It might be Crichton and Aaron from Farscape. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one, yeah. Man, I honestly, I don't know. Man, I don't know which one was the first. I don't have like a conscious memory of the first yeah. of the first one. I mean, fair. I do know that for as long as I can, like I watched Babylon 5 when it aired, so the mid 90s, and for as long as I can recall Babylon 5, like being a fan of Babylon 5, I can recall shipping ivanova and uh talia so right. that might be an early right. one yeah like i remember thinking right. those were those two were really good uh there might be others for me but i think it's difficult to distinguish between like canon canon and non-canon too because like yeah. there's like the ships that are on screen where like you kind of go along with it and you're like this is fine and then like there's another step where you're like ah these two other characters yeah yeah i i and i think first is hard to do because i mean frankly we're old yeah a lot <laughs> we all predate like 
I, I watched a lot of media and read a lot of books before I encountered like the, the concept of shipping. Yeah. So like, yeah. I definitely have like stuff I, I watched and liked before shipping that if I had, if I had been aware of shipping, I would have been like, yeah, that's shipping, but I didn't have the concept of it. So it's yeah. hard to like yeah. pin that label on. Yeah, definitely. Like there were definitely like, I'm thinking all the way back to like, like comic books. Like I definitely reading X-Men back in the day. I definitely, definitely had some thoughts about Cyclops, Jean Grey and Wolverine. that <laughs> Probably fall under the label of shipping. Big ups to you, Hickman, yep. for making my dreams come true. Yeah, I'm trying to. I, don't, I was like, I was going through mine, and I think it might be Ash and Misty from Pokemon. <laughs> amazing. Because that I, is amazing. Because because you I, I like I like hate ships. Like that is why that is you, a, you win, Justin. <laughs> that is both amazing. One amazing, and two such a fucking garbage ship. Oh, it's. I, <laughs> It's, I just absolutely love that answer to death. Like, and, and this is, and God, yeah, no, I mean, somebody who's, like, familiar with how the Pokemon anime ended up, because I know it's over now, uh, it fi- it, it yeah. ended, um, how'd that very, all, how'd that all turn out? How'd, me, how'd Misty end up? Answer, answer in, like, August when, when we release this episode or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, hit up the Bad Pod account and <laughs> let us know. Um. Tonight, we are talking about uh, the first two non-pilot episodes of DS9. Um, episodes We'll call them episodes three and four, past prologue and a man alone. I have past prologue, so I will start us off because I got the first non-pilot episode. Let's go! And we wanted, I wanted it for one very specific reason, or season one, episode three, Past Prologue, written by Catherine Powers and directed by Winrich Colby. Bless both of them. Our episode starts with what will become a familiar setting, the Replomat, a Cardassian, a tailor named Garrick. Just plain Garrick. A, just plain, simple Garrick. Approaches Dr. Bashir and, l- let's be honest, hits on him. Now, um, the we'll talk is not subtle. We will talk about this in the discussion, but that's not headcanon. He's actually hitting on him. Bashir, being the dumbest twig to walk this station, um, doesn't realize that is what Garrick is doing, and instead focuses on the rumor that Garrick was a spy for the Cardassians, and maybe still is? When Julian goes to Ops to talk about this, everyone thinks he's overreacting a little bit. This is interrupted by a Cardassian ship shooting at a Bajoran scout vessel in Bajoran space. Uh, the Bajoran ship is coming apart and they beam at the pilot. The, uh, the pilot, Tana Los, requests asylum and he recognizes Kira. Roll credits. <laughs> Tana is taken to sick bay and the Cardassians demand he be released. We learn a bit about Tana's group, the Kone Ma, which are like the most radical wing of the former Bajoran resistance. They make Sinn Féin look like normal and reasonable <laughs> for the most part. I mean, I mean, we'll 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 talk about terrorism a little bit in a little bit. However, Lowe states that he's committed crimes against the Cardassians since the withdrawal, but he wants to turn over a new leaf. 
Kira deciding to invite death, uh, Cobb's Admiral Roman, Sisko's superior, to attempt to get Starfleet to grant Tana asylum. Roman comes Sisko to inform him while Kira goes to talk to Tana. The Cardassian, a, the Cardassian gull of the ship demands Losis return, but Sisko decides to grant him asylum for the time being because Sisko, as we'll find out, his default state is fuck the Cardassians. <laughs> Kira and Tana catch up, and Kira believes that the wormhole is a good for Bajor, but Tana only wants Bajor for Bajorans, which is a flag so red that, like, <laughs> some color blind individuals are able to see what's going on there. Um, Odo is called to the Promenade, where two Klingon women, Lursa, Lursa and Bator, shout out old TNG guest stars, oh, yeah. are here. I Odo remembered reports, them immediately. I listen. House it's, of Duras. It's the titty armor. It's I, the well, titty armor that sort what of is, like. What does it say in my notes? Like that's the first thing I noticed. Just the fucking it's, boob window. Uh, <laughs> the panoramic reports, boob window. Odo reports this to Cisco, and Cisco reminds Odo that you can't just toss people into prison for showing up and living. You authoritarian. <laughs> Uh, Bashir joins Garrick at Quarks as Garrick is people watching. He per- he points out the Klingon sisters to Bashir, and Tana ends up meeting with the Klingons. They head to a cargo bay where it seems they're in some sort of business arrangement, which Odo of course spies upon. Kira says uh, Kira informs Cisco that more of the Konma are willing to come in for asylum, and Cisco seems amenable to it, but warns Kira that if she goes over his head again, he will have hers on a platter. Cisco starts to piece things together that these Koma members must be paying for something or they're bringing payment for something, something that Tana wants to buy. The Klingons come to Garrick and offer Tana loose to the Cardassian government and he gives them an offer. Kira goes to see Tana and tells him that the Bajoran government is willing to give him amnesty. Tana lets slip that he knew Kira was here on DS9 and he's trying to work to save Bajor, but he needs a ship. Garrick approaches Bashir and tells Bashir to come to visit him in his shop later that night. Bashir goes to Sisko, asks him what to do. Sisko is like, go, go, do it. Babies for a spycraft. <laughs> Kira talks with Odo, expressing some hesitation about what she's doing with Tana. Bashir then visits Garrick, who immediately shoves him in the closet to listen <laughs> in on the Klingons finalizing their deal with Garrick. No metaphors uh, there. <laughs> The Klingons are selling bilitrium on the dark side of one of Bajor's moons. It's just all components for a very big bomb. In a staff meeting, Kira suggests they give Tana a running runabout so they can trap him while they have a running bout waiting to capture him. The exchange goes off with the Klingons, and both Starfleet and the Cardassians pursue. Tana pulls a phaser on Kira, and he threatens to expose the bomb over a colony if she doesn't head for DS9. Sisko pursues and is a and prepares to shoot the runabout down. Tana wants her to change her course for the wormhole to collapse the entrance. He wants to close the wormhole to stop uh, the major powers of the quadrant from caring about Bajor. Kira forces the ship through the wormhole, fights with Tana, and the bomb explodes harmlessly on the other side. Sisko gets Tana Lewis to stand down. Kira says that she had to do this, and Tana calls her a traitor as he is arrested and taken away. I love this episode. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's a solid I have one. So many thoughts about this episode, but I think obviously we're going to start with Garrick and Bashir, and, and just 
and just broadly, like, I always forget just how thirsty this show is. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, absolutely. And I think, so I put the link in our, in my notes, and I will have Zathras put it in the show notes. This is an interview with the uh, actor who portrays Garrick. Um, pause for load. Uh, Andrew Robinson. And according to him, he shows up on set for the first day, meets, uh, um, I can't remember his first name. Alexander Siddig. Alexander Siddig. And to quote him, his first thought is, for the character, I want to fuck that guy. <laughs> and he thinks, I, don't, I don't know. It's actually, well, he says, I don't know anything about the spy stuff. But I, I fuck that guy. But I want to fuck that guy. Like I don't know how to put all this galactic shit into the characterization, but I can put that into the characterization. And I love that that's where this starts. And it's from everything I know about these two characters, that is the foot on the gas and it goes from there. It's foundational. But I I I love that this is where it's this is like in the this is not like fans projecting this is yeah. what the what the actors are putting into the performance yeah and maybe the writers aren't like putting them in bed together but there is so much goddamn sexual tension between these two characters in every scene if i i'm married but if i ever were giving someone romantic advice i would tell them to invite someone to buy a suit at what is what is it 2055 because that is the most like horny line in this entire episode is garrick like (laughs) inviting bashir to come buy a suit at 11 o'clock at night it's although i guess in a 26 hour day it's more like eight o'clock at night but whatever it's fantastic garrick is such a good character he's so good i absolutely love him in that from the first moment he appears on screen Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just terrific. G- gotta say, you know, you you love a sexy lizard. I do. Yeah. I do love a sexy lizard. It does seem to be a type, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh. uh. So, um, you know, speaking speaking to all the lizards out there listening to this podcast, now you know what Jude likes. <laughs> I mean, how do you not? We, he likes Lawrence of Arabia, Ben Kenobi. Sexy lizards, and I mean, you keep telling us that you're heterosexual, but I've I I have said on this podcast that I don't think that label entirely applies. I think my Kinsey number is not entirely one anymore. I feel like we've established that. I don't know. I know Kinsey numbers are not an entirely accepted like practice anymore. But for the purposes for for our purposes here, I feel like it's uh, an appropriate way of describing it. Like. Yeah. I don't think you could say as many horny things about Jakar as I have and and claim to be entirely heterosexual. <laughs> yeah. Um, so fun thing. Uh Andrew Robinson, who is fantastic actor, like we're gonna we'll get this out of the way in his first thing. He has two rather I'd say important I know that faces, uh like references. Uh he is in Hellraiser, like the original. Um, he is also the killer in Dirty Harry. Uh, 
<laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Wild. And he, and just plain simple Garrick. I the way he the way that he and Bashir repeat that line is like fucking foreplay. It's unbelievable. <laughs> God, I you had told me that this episode was horny, and I did not understand how oh, it's how serious you were being. It's crazy how how much sexual tension there is between these characters. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's it is wild. There will be eventually down the road some pushback from the network on this, which will resolve in certain ways and. We'll, we'll, and that will happen down we'll, the road. We'll burn those bridges when we come to it. Yeah. But the the amount of just sheer fuck it, let's do it is, I mean, it, it's like, I was like, okay, yeah, there's, I was aware of this, but like, okay, so my my first time watching DS9 was before I realized I was queer. And every time I've watched it in like the last 10 years has been so ridiculously like, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> it's like wild of like, oh, hey, like a light switch has been flipped there. Um, <laughs> the, the other, the other like production note with regards to, to Garrick for this is that Robinson originally aud- auditioned for Odo. Interesting. F- fantastic. Like that's uh, really interesting. Yeah. And it went to Aubergenois, which we will butcher that. I will butcher that name 20 times during this uh, show. And like he he got passed over for the role. They offered him Garrick and he originally didn't want to do it because he'd never seen Star Trek before. <laughs> and, but then he's like, hey, the money was too good. It was it was a recurring role in a network show of I mean, yeah, there are so many good lines in this with Bashir and Garrick like everybody's response to Bashir being all like enthusiastic (laughs) spy dorky about it is Uh so funny. But my favorite is Jadzia's line. What do you suppose he could want with you? (laughs) God, it's so funny. The writers are, I mean, they know what they're doing there. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and one of the things that makes it work so well too is just, precisely how clueless Bashir is because he's yeah. like I'm what are, what are you like I don't know what you're talking about why do you want me to buy a suit I don't need a suit yeah but and why why at this time end of the night gosh d- am I really that badly dressed <laughs> such an idiot <laughs> it's like how, like he can't comprehend that like Garrick wants him to be there at that like particular time so he can observe something. He's just like yeah, yeah. completely buys into buying a suit. I just find like very funny of like Cisco like Cisco explains, you know, sometimes governments can't operate through official channels. It's like I suggest doctor you go get fitted for a new suit. Um and I just imagine like Cisco in his office like Okay, when do we like? When do I schedule? When do I schedule the uh, like the senior officer training for like intelligence practices? Because now we have to worry about this sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, everybody! Uh, new webinar just dropped. Yeah. Right. Um, on a broader note, with this episode, I love what, that this episode. This is the first post pilot episode, and I love that it is one. They like lead with this ballsy, 
like queer interaction between Garrick and Bashir and then swing right into like a fairly heavy debate about like, like post occupation terrorism. Yeah. And, yeah. And it's not like a, a, a one dimensional debate either. It's moderately nuanced. And yeah. I don't know. I just think that that's certainly saying that this is going to be a show that's going to be doing a different kind of thing with its Trek. It's not that, you know, TNG didn't take on complicated subjects, but it's certainly signal signaling what it, what this show wants to do in a really interesting way, which yeah. I thought was very, was very cool. Um, and I love that it's, it's just more of Kira being just so uncompromisingly fucking angry and herself that she will just rocket headfirst into any situation. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah. and just, you know, figure it out from there. But it's for better or for worse, her first reaction is to just like bombard into the situation. And then sometimes she will pause and be like, ah, fuck and try and fix it. <laughs> I presume sometimes she won't, but it, it it's very funny to me that like, that seems to be her pattern. And I like that Cisco is like, I get it, but also watch your step. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that this, this episode does a lot of, like has a lot of ground in terms of like establishing the relationship between Cisco and Kira, at least the like early seasons relationship between them mm-hmm. where that's like, you know, Cisco wants to be collegial with her, but like, you know, as with the, as with the pilot doesn't want to be walked over. Yeah. I really like that. Tana is such an idiot. Uh, his philosophy is so naive. It, I, I found it very, uh, frustrating, but also I, I don't but, know if that's, but also it feels very real, right? It does. No, it yes. feels totally real. Um, my, my frustration with it was like in a spacefaring community, it, it feels very difficult to be like, we're just going to be our own, you know, Bajor for Bajorans. And we don't want anybody else to, to mess with us. That seems like a somewhat naive proposition after the better part of a century of occupation, yeah, I mean, you could say, I mean, like, it's it's on the scene, it's it's similar to Kira's ideas, but to a more radical extent, yeah. where whereas Kira's like, I don't want the Federation here, but I recognize that economically, our planet has to rebuild, and we can do that a lot, we can do that without, like, enduring a lot of hardship with the Federation's aid. Yeah. yeah. Or a lot, there will be a lot less hardship there. Well, I mean, also from a security standpoint, I have to imagine in a lot of parts of the galaxy, it's either you're big enough to protect yourself or you get eaten or you are allies with someone that that protects you from getting eaten. And yeah. it feels it's- like the Bajorans just got out from underneath being eaten and maybe going blowing up their one chance to be to be strong enough to not get eaten. And not need anyone is maybe not the smartest option. Yeah, because like if the Federation wasn't there, the Cardassians absolutely would be like, fantastic. Uh, you know, hi guys, we're back. Yeah. You miss us? Yeah, it's it's not clear from what we've seen so far why the Cardassians backed off in the first place. Whether it was Federation pressure, yeah, or whether like they had strip mined the planet so so thoroughly there was nothing left for them to take. Little, but, uh, little of column A, little of column B, I think. 
Yeah, like that. That'll that, that like they that, had they you know they they were fighting off like I think quite a bit of terrorism, yeah, um, and resistance. They probably had like the Federation looking at them dubiously, and and Bajor doesn't have any resources anymore. So, you know, yeah. why would they? Right. All right. Yeah, I think that there. I think that there is a like it's like the. As we get more into Bajor, we'll find that this planet has been, like, taken for all it is worth. But also, towards the end of that, the Bajoran resistance was making a life hell for the Cardassians. Yeah. Cool. I do think that there's something... I I do think that, like, another thing that is interesting here is, like, putting the idea of the Bajoran resistance in the time period of when this episode came out. No, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about yeah. that because I mean, for one thing, I like I and as like this is the thing that I was I was talking about with somebody is like when this came out is like you know in when you're like in the '90s, you're the most prominent group that gets labeled a terrorist, and like the in, like the media is like the IRA, yeah, because this is like five years before the Good Friday Accords even, yeah. And I, I think it is interesting of like how much in you know the last twenty two years the the word terrorism has changed. Yeah, because it because it used to be like this like, like there's like like you know like die hard like the idea of like I mean like that terrorism was like this sort of like European phenomenon of like you know and i just think it's very interesting and, and, and that was like, one of the reasons that 9-11 was just so shocking too is that like you know it went from being like something that other people dealt with to something yeah. that the u.s dealt with yeah i think it's just overall very interesting and like we will re- we will revisit this framework of various pejor like the pejoran resistance and the methods upon which it operates and what happens when you have members of a former uh, freedom fighting movement, which had a lot of different methods and what happens when <laughs> the, the occupational force leaves? Yeah. yeah. Like say in like two episodes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we do, we do have a good know that face on this one. Um, yeah. So the, the gull uh, is played by Vaughn Armstrong, who has played, 12 characters in Star Trek across 24 episodes, including um, most notably Admiral Forrest on Enterprise. Um, I would also like to note from Memory Alpha, uh, he apparently plays the banjo Lely in a Trek-themed blues band uh, that plays at conventions, along with other Trek side actors, uh, including the guy who plays Goldemar. (laughs) That is amazing. Oh, my God. I I, love that. That king shit king shit there right oh god bless i'm I'm also just really surprised that like cisco wasn't more enthusiastic about like shipping lursa and bator back to chronos dude like what because like why right? does the federation not consider them like criminals yeah no they are they like the the federation has like i i mean i guess i guess you could say this is going to be a funny thing that will happen throughout the series of like Federation law and Bajoran law not quite lighting up. And yeah. you could say it's like, well, 
it's a Bajoran station, and the Bajorans don't have an active alliance with the Klingons of, hey, these two enemies of the state, can you put them in prison, please, so we right. can pick them up? Right. Um, I remember them from TNG. Not like, I don't remember any specific details about them. Other than the armor. <laughs> other than that they were angry, <laughs> and they had tremendously aggressive boob windows. <laughs> and that fits precisely with what we see in this episode. Yeah, that's that's do, accurate. Do you know I this, love is, this is their penultimate appearance in Star Trek. Do you know the next time the the next and last time they will appear? Star Trek Generations. Oh my god. They are the secondary antagonists of the first TNG movie. Wow. That's a thing. A movie that I've not watched in probably like 15 years. <laughs> For a whole slew of reasons. (laughs) Right. Uh, Yeah, I think I've watched that movie precisely once. Yeah. And then was like, never again. We've also we've also got a good chance to dunk on Odo here. um, Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Odo, uh, uh, who in this episode alone was to throw two people in jail for existing. I mean, granted, he's like, oh, hey, if this was a Federation starbase, I'm I'm pretty sure they could. The, the the Klingons could say like, hey, this is an extradition request for your, you know, and they'd say, sure thing. Right. And like, that seems, re- that seems reasonable in this case. But like, hey, I want to throw these people in jail. Mm, the rules. Mm, grub, 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 grub. And that then whole like, line is spying on people. That whole thing where he's like grumping about the rules and the law. <laughs> and they're the, like... You know, Cardassian rule may have been oppressive, but at least it was simple. And we're all just like, oh, no, why? <laughs> God, he's... My man. He has some lines in the... In, there's, is, I, can't, I think it's the next... Is it Man Alone? And I can't remember. In one of these episodes where he has like a line about like the rules versus the law, where I'm just like, dude. Dude. He really is... <laughs> How the, are like, you a fucking... How are you a constable? <laughs> Jesus Christ. He is like... You should put on we'll, a Batman we'll find out, mask. We'll find all sorts of stuff about Odo and his species. <laughs> um, I mean, like, he's like... He's forming the triangle now of, like... there. There's, like, Venn diagrams of, like... It's gonna be, like... There's a Venn diagram of, like, Fusco, Garibaldi, and Odo. <laughs> Yeah. And the overlap between Garibaldi and Odo is fash. Right. I, I I'm I'm just gonna say I'm gonna dunk on o- Odo a lot as we as we do all of these, as I think we all will. But I also actually, unlike Garibaldi, I really enjoy him as a character. Yes. Um and um also Renee Aubergenois, like rest in peace too. Yes. Like does an incredible job with him. But yeah. also does an incredible job of making him absolutely infuriating a lot of the time. Yeah, I, I he is the he's the data or Spock of the series, and like he plays it entirely differently than yeah. either of them. We I, I'll save my Odo dunks for the next episode. <laughs> or is it? Yeah, the next one I think it is. Yeah, I think that's all I've got on this one. I think we've kind of covered. Yeah. Um, I do, I do, I do want to point out that. Uh, Bashir tries on the I'm a doctor, not a uh, yeah. it's like I'm a doctor, not a spy. Uh 
thing. And, yeah. Well, and we're good. all like, dude, we've seen your browser history. <laughs> <laughs> we will get a you'll get a very in-depth exposure to his his search history uh, down the line. Okay. Um, <laughs> I have the next one. It is episode four, A Man Alone, story by Michael Piller and Gerald Sanford, teleplay by Michael Piller, directed by Paul Lynch. Real fast, uh, Justin, what's the difference between like story and teleplay? So, um, yes, I made a note about this because it's like, so um, the way that story, the, the way that like TNG, the, the, the Star Trek writer's room worked is that the, uh, the WGA, a story is if you pitch, like if you, if somebody like submits an outline for like an episode of like, hey, here is the plot for an episode and another person writes the actual script, that first part is the story. The second part is the teleplay. Most often right. you will see that those are those like if it is the same thing, that is what the written by credit will be. Got it. And so I, I, I a lot of the time you will see in, especially in Star Trek, because it's like they will either like a story could sit on like from, from the way I've seen it described in like interviews and stuff is like a story could sit in a slush pile for months. Um, or just like it could be sitting on the board and the person who like originally pitched the idea might not even be working on the show anymore. Yeah. So Gerald could have pitched this idea of the man alone, a man alone. And then Michael Piller comes along and picks it up and does something with it and turns it into an, a full episode. I mean, yeah, from what we're seeing here, like, like the story by Michael Piller and Gerald Sanford, it might be they both, they, they both contributed to it. But like when it came to actually do the script, it was only Piller who wrote the script. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. It's, it's just like, it's one of those things of like, we typically see written by because especially in like modern television, you have like a much, an incre- a very cohesive writer's room. Um, and you used to, and you used to be able to once upon a time, just submit stories in, uh, to Star Trek. Wow. That's wild. Wild. <laughs> All that's right. how writers used to work. <laughs> Man, that's, that's just like, that's like just the ultimate, um, the ultimate like kind of cock block to the thing where like p- fans will like write to creators and be like, could you do this story? And then the creator's like, well, now I can't. Well, yeah. I'm, and, and and specifically you would have like there, I, I, it was like you would have a slush pile of submissions. This is a lot more common in TNG um, where like there's a number of episodes that are submitted mm-hmm. in and like, and it's later refined, but like you basically have somebody in the office who isn't part of the writing team and doesn't int- doesn't like contribute to the writer's room mm-hmm. who's there who are who are there to like look through submissions and in the slush pile and identify ones to like then pitch. Interesting. Yeah. Especially when you have to fill out so many episodes and you're and you're like thinking that you'll have you'll probably get seven seasons. Yeah. Exactly. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. So, a man alone our, op- our episode opens with Julian creeping on Dax while she does some kind of meditation puzzle. After she blows him off to hang out with her best bro, Cisco, we cut to Quark's, where Odo is making cynical, albeit probably true, remarks about Quark's business practices when they overhear O'Brien and his wife arguing about coming to DS9. And Odo comments he's never understood the need to couple, much to Quark's consternation. Odo seems to be fundamentally offended by the notion of compromise, 
which he interprets as giving your partner what they want. Apparently, in addition to being a wet authoritarian, he's a misogynist. While Quirk leches on Dax as they enter with Cisco, Odo spots someone who catches his attention. Up on the balcony, Dax orders steamed Asna, and Cisco reminisces about his father's cooking when he was a child. Cisco admits to being uncomfortable with the new Dax, but confident that their friendship will survive. Jadzia advises him to take time to be comfortable with your discomfort. The next day, Julian, petty bitch, asks Dax how her date with Cisco was, and she scolds him that trills don't do romance the way other species do. Skeptical face. I have, <laughs> I have so many notes about that, like, what line? And we're right. going to get back to that in a little yeah. bit. At the Dabo table, Odo assaults the figure he spotted and tells him he's got 26 hours to get off the station. This seems like a weird number, but I'm guessing this is a Bajoran day. Yep. Okay. Yep. Uh, this man, Odo tells Cisco later in his office, is named Ibudan, a smuggler who went to prison for killing a Cardassian, but who was released by the Bajoran government. Cisco and and Odo argue over law versus justice, and Cisco makes it clear Odo will follow Federation law, not Odo's personal damp air quotes justice. Elsewhere in a hollow suite, Ibadan gets a massage and a knifing. As the investigation gets underway, it turns out to be a bit of a mystery, as no one can figure out how the murderer got in. It turns out uh, Odo thinks Ibudan set him up for the murder. Odo was in a bucket regenerating, and boy, do I have some thoughts about that. <laughs> Uh, but it looks like there are a lot of things no one else could have done. Some Bajorans begin to grumble about Odo, and Cork finds himself in the odd position of defending him, observed by a weird older Bajoran. They end up bringing their concerns to Kieran Sisko, and Sisko sees no option but to relieve him of duty while the investigation is ongoing. He returns to his office to find it trashed, and a smug Cork saunters in to basically tease him. It's not clear what he's doing there. He's there to flirt. Yeah. Uh, said investigation also has Bashir looking into Ibadan's quarters, where he finds some weird biological material that the dead man was trying to dispose of. He decides to try and grow whatever it was, <laughs> as one does, and it begins to turn into something vaguely humanoid. This is going to get fucking weirder. Uh, on the promenade, a lynch mob forms outside the office, uh, Odo's office, led by the same Bajoran who instigated the meeting with Cisco, who... Makes the very accurate observation, how do you get a noose around a shapeshifter's neck? Which is both fucking weird and accurate. What are they doing there? They they can't kill him. They can't lynch him. But also, I'm disturbed to know that the whole concept of a lynch mob is something that this Bajoran is familiar with. The whole thing is, I have lots of, lots of thoughts on that. In my defense, they probably learned it from the Cardassians. That's fair. <laughs> Uh, the crowd is dispersed when Bashir tells them that Ibudan was, uh, that he has more evidence, which turns out to be that Ibudan was growing a clone and that's what was killed. He has grown a clone. That's, that's what he's grown. He's grown a clone. Uh, they find Ibudan in his ship wearing the old man mask. Meanwhile, the clone Bashir grew just gets to go out into the world a giant man baby i don't know it's not clear how do clones work do they have my thoughts also i'd like to i'd like to point out for the clone that was murdered like what a wild life you know wake up wake up get go a to a hollow suite where you get a very erotic massage yes an erotic massage and then, get and then a knifing wow 
Um, like speed running. Yes. Our B plot concerns O'Brien and Keiko. Uh, their argument seems to be that Keiko feels lost on DS9. She doesn't like the station and doesn't feel like she has a purpose there. And she's not also super hyped about raising a kid there. There's not much need for a botanist, which is what she was doing on Enterprise, uh, but also doesn't want to O'Brien to give up his promotion or to give her handouts, which is sort of putting O'Brien in a corner. Not really sure what she's looking for yeah. here. Yeah. Uh, they are interrupted by one of O'Brien's endless repair tasks. More on that next episode. Uh, what I expect is a routine problem. Below on the promenade, we get an auspicious meeting as Jake introduces himself to Nog. What starts out somewhat frosty appears to quickly warm up as next we see them. Nog has a container of some kind of mites and the two of them are headed off to make trouble. They release them at the automat. It's called the automat or no, the replomat. replomat the replomat and watch people itch and then turn strange colors uh, before it automatic. It immediately fades. They find this hilarious, which is fair. It is uh, until they are caught by security and observed by Keiko who tells them, who tells her husband that what DS nine needs is a school. She visits Cisco. And just like that, she's the new DS nine school teacher. Now she just needs to get the other parents to send their kids at the end of the episode. We see Jake, Nog and two other human kids arrive for instruction. And there's our episode. Yeah. yeah. My first note is I love that uh one, the way that Ferengi say humans is maintained. Human. Human. Oh, oh uh, yeah. And I love Nog and Jake go from like, what do you want, human, to like immediate best friends. It's such a kid thing that yeah. like there's no other kids here. Let's go fucking cause trouble. Now we're best friends. It's great. It's great. They, yeah. They like they they will. Jake and Nog is one of my favorite friendships in the show. Absolutely. Um, it's it's so good and a lot and both Nog and and Rom who appears in this episode, but uh, well, like is, a Ferengi is the, that is. is supposedly Rom shows up in this episode, but I yeah. remember just enough about this show to know that that's not Rom. Rom yeah, no, it is, is. It is a character is, named Rom played by Max Groden Sheik. Yeah. 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 The Rom I remember is, has the IQ of an eggplant is well-meaning, but as dumb as a stack of bricks. Yeah. And, um, uh, is well, not at all like the character we'll in this we'll episode. We'll see as we get through this show, let's revisit this actually. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, it's like it is. It is a first appearance for, and I mean, both character, both Nog and Rom are going to be completely unrecognizable from this first appearance uh, by from where they end up, which I love. Um, yeah, yeah. There's there's a I'll, lot I'll of characters. Say, yeah, Quark, Nog, and Rom all change dramatically. Mm -hmm. There's a lot to like about this episode. Um, mm -hmm. It's oh, a little weird, but. I like it. I really like Jake and Cisco. Uh, their relationship is very good. Like Jake, like trying to avoid punishment from his dad and uh, the two of them sort of bantering. Um, I really like how Cisco handles the t school teachers thing. Yeah. I liked a lot of the, that stuff. I found the whole plot line with Ibudan <laughs> just soups dumb. Oh yeah, but in kind of a fun way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's a guy has grown and murdered his own clone just to fuck with Odo. Right. Yeah. 
which is honestly incredible. It's it's peak Trek dumb. Yeah, yeah. He must really hate Odo. Yeah, which I get. <laughs> I can appreciate I mean, that. Man threw him in a Cardassian prison. Yeah. yeah, I'm like if we will see what happens in Cardassian prisons. Yeah. The clone. I have to talk about the clone. <laughs> okay. Right? I, I, like, you're so blase about, like, that which he is fine. a whole other clone. And, like, everybody's like, what's going to happen to the clone? He's like, I don't know. I'll put it down to Bayshore and they'll take care of it. Yeah. Like, I I would get if he was like, oh, I I, I recognize now that I'm, I've accidentally started growing a clone. Why don't we turn this off now? No. He lets it finish and then it's just like, hello, giant baby I have created. Or it's like, oh, and this just clone like, is not particularly viable or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It, what I just like, don't the, get. Like they could have been like, oh, we've we've accidentally like made a clone of a clone and now it's like deteriorating. Yeah. But yeah. instead, no, it's like, nah, just Bajor has got another citizen. I'm just and like responsibility it for have bringing a life into the world. Or- is it a blank slate clone? Are we dealing with I, a with considering that considering that the clone? I mean, I, is it in the first scene when like Odo's like confronts Ibudon? Is it the clone he's talking to, or I, oh, I'm this is so confusing. It's like it is so wild, and I just love the idea of Bashir. I I, I love the idea of Bashir being like, "Welp, adios, clone." I, I send you into the world. I, your God, who have created you, send you into the world. <laughs> Go be a productive member the, of society. The, big, the clone is sitting there in like a diaper, like, uh, what? So, and he just beams him down to, down to the planet, like, peace. I have to go on a little thing about wikis. Because the fact of us moving to a well-fleshed-out and overly obsessive fan base. Oh now, yeah. Compared to person of interest, is that the wikis get a lot more detailed. And that there are there are <laughs> in this episode, there are two wiki pages tied to it. Ibudon brackets first quote. Ibudon brackets second quote or second clone. <laughs> um, and the note this clone was portrayed by a dummy inside the water tank. Amazing. I, it's know. the writing of fan wikis that are like, an alien has to be able to understand this. Yeah. Yeah. It's oh my so God. funny to me. Somebody has written fan fiction about that clone. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. That's the thing I love about Star Trek is somebody has written fan fiction about everything. See, I, I'm just going to fantasize here and think that like maybe these clones are like blank slate-ish. And that, like, somehow this clone will get in, get into his head to, like, come back to the station and ruin the life of the man who created him and create another clone. Yeah. Does, okay. Okay. I'm going to just cross my fingers and hope that we get a sequel to this episode where the Ibudan clone does this exact same shenanigan against Bashir. Yeah. <laughs> that does not ever happen, but... But wouldn't it be great if it did? Oh, God. Okay. Keiko is like a not-in-my-backyard suburban mom, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, 
okay, here's the and thing. And she's also like incredibly passive aggressive here where she's like, well, I'm deeply unhappy, but I don't want you to to have to give up your promotion. <clears throat> I can't get on board with her response with how she reacts to O'Brien because he's like trying to work with her. He's trying to like yeah. problem solve. And she's and she's not doing the like, I just need to vent. She is like saying, You have caused a problem. And he's like, Okay, let's talk about that. And she's like, No, I'd rather just make you feel bad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they they do not I mean, even on TNG, they did not have what I would call a healthy relationship, really. Yeah. Uh there, on the flip side there. Molly is super cute and really makes me miss my own kid at that age. Um back when he was like I don't know, like still still a goblin, but like a much more manageable goblin. Um <laughs> and the bell is legitimately like a thoughtful and cute gift. Yeah. And we'll see a lot of Molly too. Yeah, I I like the idea, Keiko's idea. I just I I like her whole thing, the whole way she's just like, "Look, man, I O'Brien's trying his best. He's just trying his best. You got to give him something, okay?" Yeah. yeah. I know that we have not technically watched Captive Pursuit yet. So we have not had seen the true depths or not not no Babel. We have not seen Babel yet, so we have not seen the true depths of O'Brien's overworked despair. But I mean, we <laughs> can try it. Though. We can isn't feel the, it. He isn't like the middle of like a par- uh, like a stress breakdown right now. Yeah. yeah, like just give him a break, man. Like, it's like he's he's working like you know twenty twenty two hour shifts and like. Yeah, meet him halfway. Like, yeah. tell him what you need. Don't just be on. Don't just be like cranky. Meet him halfway. You're an adult. Talk to him. It's the twenty. What is it? Twenty fourth goddamn century. Like, you can certainly have an adult conversation. <laughs> I am a goddamn mess of a human being, and I communicate with my wife better than keiko and keiko does with her husband so yeah i mean this is also like the 90s and listen if you if there was one trope that pre-2000s television loved it was a it was a it was the trope of a nagging wife yeah that's true yeah um (laughs) boy does odo believe that right odo's Uh. rant about coupling and how compromise is really just a woman making you give up what you love is unreal. I, somebody, somebody didn't get to watch their football game the week that this episode was being written and took it out on this episode script. That's what that was. (laughs) I, I think that out of many of the relationships that are written in the show, I think that the one that I think like the quality jumps, like has the most like variance in it is miles and Keiko. Yeah. Like it it is, there are points of it where it is incredibly touching and very sweet. And it's like, it feels very real. And other times where it's just like, I hate this. Yeah. Yeah. I get these heterosexuals off of my television. <laughs> uh, yeah, and this this definitely falls into the the latter bucket, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. but uh, we can move on from that. Um, let's talk about Dax. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, so first of all, I think we can all agree that the trills try to rise above their passions and like <laughs> they don't have relationships. That is a fucking line. Yeah. Yeah. I Well, like I'm not. Yeah. I'm not a hundred percent convinced that it was intended to be a line. Like I, you know, like I would totally understand like if they if they like did not have Trill as a species or Dax as a character like locked down at this point mm-hmm. characterization wise and like thought that that might be the way that they were taking her but oh my god that's such a line like mm-hmm. am I look I don't remember a lot about this show but I'm pretty sure <laughs> Dax and Worf bump uglies oh yeah 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 and. If there is one thing we will learn about Curzon Dax. Well, I do that know that, that Curzon Dax fucks. That man has laid so much pipe, you could build a city's infrastructure around it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and frankly, it's a little gross at times. Yeah, and I think I think it's a case where like saying like trills don't, you know, view relationships the same way is a hell of a lot easier when you're like dealing with Julian fucking Bashir, then like I'm not really ready for a relationship right now because I've been in this body for approximately three months and like I'm still remembering to pee sitting down. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think this is this the episode where Bashir and Cisco have the talk about Dax. Yeah. I find it very funny that it's like where 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 Cisco's like the the thing of like yeah no we like there are these seven feet tall women and wait now this is not an appropriate conversation conversation for me to have with a subordinate <laughs> yeah <laughs> to which um, mood I I really enjoy Cisco and Dax's relationship yeah and I really like uh, that he is very open with like you know. I'm sure we will still, we will, you know, figure out how to still be friends. And that really excellent line that Dax has the, I suggest you take time to be comfortable with your discomfort. What a good line. line. Oh yeah. It's, I, I mean, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, it was really never the intention of it, but like Cisco and Dax is like a couple that would have worked for me. Yeah. Um, But like, it doesn't, it, it, doesn't and i'm perfectly happy with that yeah um but i also I love just, their friendship yeah their, their friendship yeah. is good with like the whole thing of like where where um like dallas is like you know you should have steamed asna it'll it'll you know put years of your life and it's just, just like i don't want years of my life if i if i all i can have a steamed asna and he like he goes <laughs> to like you know sauteed grilled yeah not steamed fricasseed yeah not <laughs> steamed <laughs> It's so good. It tells you so much about these two characters. Yeah. That one conversation is fantastic because it, it it tells you so much about them and their friendship right there in that, that little bit. And, and you like, you, you immediately know that this is a conversation that they have had before. Yeah. I, I, I mean, obviously, uh, as the aforementioned, mostly, heterosexual person on this podcast (laughs) got to think about what's the appropriate way to put that these days. Uh, but I am not the person probably to really comment on the trans interpretations of Dax, but even I like have to imagine that as a trans person watching Dax and Cisco have that conversation, 
that has to hit the feels pretty hard. Like the way that Cisco is just like, I'm sure we will figure it out. And Dax being like, be comfortable with your discomfort. That's okay. It's all right to be weirded out by it and to like, we'll work through it. Like, and you, and you'll only work and you'll only work through it. If you like, if you actually work through it, like if you just put it aside, it's like, I'm not uncomfortable. Then yeah. like, you'll never actually get to the point where you are. But yeah. the, the, the way that this show just put, I mean, is telling a trans story with Dax so blatantly uh has i mean that had to have been just such a wild thing for people to to see on tv in the goddamn i mean it wasn't even really intentional which is yeah yeah i mean it's it's great i'm like that's why this is why sci-fi is great yeah exactly yeah Yeah. no what a yeah they i can't imagine the writers were intending to tell a trans story but they they told a terrific one without even intending to yeah on um i know that phase or or this person use this person was on trick before playing the same alien species that they are playing now. Um, Max Grodenchik, who plays Rom, who, he's played a number of Ferengi, right? Yeah, he he has played a number of Ferengi. He um, the, the like the most prom um, the most prominent one is or he two, he played two Ferengi in uh, TNG, one of which was. Uh, the like he appears in Captain's Holiday. I mean, oh my god, right. Yes. So he plays a Frankie in Captain's Holiday. And the other one, which is um, he plays a Ferengi in it's an episode of TNG where Fomke Janssen, Jean Grey in the X-Men movies, it plays an alien who has the trill dot patterns in the makeup. Interesting. Interesting. Um, it's like it's such a weird co- like connection of two things of like he plays a like he plays two Ferengis in two episodes that we'll be talking about very soon. I swear they must just have like a list of like short dudes who like react well to prosthetics. Yeah, acting under prosthetics is definitely a skill. Yeah, but yeah, it, it's it's just like oh yeah, no, he was did that as well. Also, the we I do like the weird meditation like bubble thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that seems really fun and also like something that would be absolutely awful at. Yeah. Same. But like also that would be fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, overall, it's like, yeah, I, I think it's like this is the first appearance of the hollow suites, not hollow decks, suites. Yes. Um, uh, and the fact that uh, Quark immediately is specific about like, you can fuck in them. Like, Yes. <laughs> or no, no, that's later on. He doesn't say what you're there for. They're just hollow sweets. I mean, it's, he doesn't yeah, I give mean, the full pitch I mean, until later implied. in the later episode. Yeah. It's immediately implied. I mean, but last yeah, episode. No, he gives the, yeah. the sales pitch in a later episode. He gives the sales pitch for them. Yeah, but we also we also have the, you know, the uh like erotic massage in this one. Yeah. yeah. Which makes it pretty clear. Yes. But I'm I'm thinking of a later episode in which he gives the sales pitch for the Hollow Suites. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty pretty clear what he's selling. And they they have a very like they're they're thought of in a very like sordid way on the station too, like very differently from the Holodex. Where like yeah, of course kids play with the ho- play in the Holodex on you know the Enterprise, whereas here it's yeah. like yikes, yeah. 
We didn't want to put that thing under UV light. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, has this been sanitized? Yeah. The answer uh, would probably not surprise you. <laughs> oh, I'm uh, sure. Do we have anything else that we want to talk about this episode? I think we're good. Uh, we, the, the last one is the, the barefist Juro counterpunch. <laughs> yeah, which <laughs> such a weird name for a martial art, but yeah. But also, like, you know, I feel like I feel like Cisco's like barking up the wrong tree with that one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, Dax used to beat me up. Okay, but you know how that's hot, right? <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. So we're going to wrap up this one. You know, we're, we're enjoying DS9, and it's been, it's been fun so far. So you know what we're going to do for the next one to, like, really, really get us into the speed of things? We're going to do a triple episode, bitches. <laughs> uh, so next episode, we're going to be covering episodes five, six, and seven. Babel, Captive Pursuit, and Hewlett's. Until next time, just, just keep circling. Keep circling. Just keep circling. Just keep circling. Yeah. Just keep circling. Just keep circling. Just keep circling. Just keep circling. The Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share-alike no derivatives license.